This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Don't you understand? It doesn't have to be like this. You have to help. It's gotten out of control. It's too big. It is time to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Sure, go ahead. Believe everything you see on television, everything you read in the newspaper. Go ahead. Get your history out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's right. Oswald killed Kennedy. Yeah, sure he did. Man, you are living in Disneyland. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, Dear friends, welcome to the broadcast for Sunday, May the 15th, 2011. We're going to start off tonight's show with something that is very real. It it is happening. Uh, It is a story about uh, corruption murder in some instances, and a cover-up. And a, 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 a brave reporter at large uh, who has uh, paid rather dearly for uh, her attempts to bring this story uh, to the fore. Uh, she'll join us in just a moment, actually, from Mexico. She's actually uh, going to try and join us uh, via Skype. So uh, she'll also be joined by an attorney with the state of California who's involved in this same battle that we'll refer to as the probate murders. And uh, this, of course, uh, has to do with uh, adult conservatorship. A little later in the show, however, we will switch gears dramatically and go from the real to the surreal or supernatural. And our dear friend, paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, will uh, check in to tell us about, well... To be perfectly candid, she says, if you're going to fear one thing in your life, fear the gin. And I don't mean, uh, you know, it comes in a bottle from uh, London's. I'm not talking about London's gin. I'm talking about D-J-I-N-N that goes way back uh, in Middle Eastern uh, folklore and legend. But uh, Rosemary seems to think these entities are, in fact, real. Sometimes we, we, we know them by the name genies. Uh, but they are more popularly known uh, and locally uh, known as jinn, the jinn. And she says they are vengeful interdimensional creatures and may be sort of the common denominator, what's behind or underneath most paranormal phenomena that sometimes we attribute to uh, aliens or shadow people or poltergeists. She says, ah, always look for the jinn, follow the jinn. And uh, time permitting, uh, we will do some open lines towards the tail end of the program. We'll open up the phones uh, for just a brief uh, for just a brief spell. 
uh, because, you know, over the course of several weeks, a lot of information gets thrown at you, and sometimes you have to sort of sit down and reflect upon it, maybe do some further investigating on your own, and then all of a sudden you have a question. You say, geez, I wish I asked or I called in that night. Well, here's your opportunity. So we can go back, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. If there's anything uh, that uh, you'd like to get said, that'll be your opportunity. All right. Um, I'm going to look over through the glass to my producer, Griffin. Now, who do we have on the line here? Okay, and uh, we have one of our participants for the night. Shall we raise uh, uh, Dear Janet by cell phone in that case? Why don't we give her a call? Yeah. We'll get to Janet here in uh, just a moment. But first, uh, let me welcome to the program an attorney, as I said, with the state of California. And she's been battling for truth and justice in the matter of the conservatorship of her mother, Jean Tanaka, in Los Angeles Superior Court. And the uh, claim is that she has been subjected to false arrest, removal from her home due to perjured declarations in court, and has been denied access to her mother because a physician called Adult Protective Services to report abuse being inflicted upon her. Uh, Jeannie Tanaka, welcome to The Conspiracy Show here on AM740. How are you? Yes, hello. Uh, So, Jeannie, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So you are, in fact, an attorney uh, with the state of California. Yes. Can you, t- for those not aware, and, and we'll get Janet as well when she gets on, on the line to, to explain further, what, what is uh, adult conservatorship? What does that mean, actually? Well, that's um, when someone goes to court to uh, get the, the help of, of the probate court uh, to care for someone who is uh, supposed to be incompetent or in need of help. Uh, these days, it, apparently it's being used uh, even for non-incompetent persons, like you know, movie stars and things that you're reading in, in the media. Uh, my mother was quickly declared incompetent, although it was you know, very disputed. Uh, uh, she, had, she had all her facilities, you know, faculties, I'm sorry, about her, um, but she was uh, quickly declared that, and, and the court uh, filed false elder abuse charges. Actually, it wasn't the court. It was the temporary conservator uh, and the court-appointed lawyer uh, filed false elder abuse charges on me, used that as a ploy to remove me from the house and uh, take me away from the care of my mother. Let me just stop um, you there, uh, Jeannie, if I might. Um, yes, when, so when we're talking about conservatorship, often it is uh, someone who is uh, elderly uh, that has been yes. declared uh, incapacitated uh, by the court, by a probate court. But why, for example, in many of these cases, isn't the, the, the child or the closest relative to this individual given a power of attorney? I mean, I, I, I don't know how the law works down in the U.S., but up here... If you declare someone to be to have power of attorney, usually a family member or a good friend, they're the ones that are going to 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 watch over you, make sure that you're put in a, in a you know in, in a nice uh, re- uh, retirement home, etc. Make sure that you get the care that you need and deserve. Uh, it's only in those cases where no power of attorney has been named that it temporarily falls to the, for example, it's a provincial jurisdiction up here, then. Then the 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 uh, conservatorship is taken over by the province. Uh, why is it? How does it work in the states? Uh, 
Yes, well, um, I had a power of attorney for health care and assets for my mother. Um, what happened was I had two siblings uh, who uh, made a, a fraud initiation. Uh, the siblings, um, after, actually they power on, uh, on accelerated death at uh, UCLA Ronald Reagan Hospital. They had him put on comfort care against my wishes. Jeannie, i got to stop you there because you're breaking up and we're, I'm, I'm missing some important elements here. So I'm going to get my producer, Griffin March, uh, okay. to, uh, to speak with you. We're going we're gonna to probably hang up and try and reestablish contact and see if that helps. Okay. Okay, okay, so we'll, we will do that. Jeannie uh, Tanaki, uh, Tanaka, rather, attorney with the state of California, telling about her battle uh, in the matter of conservatorship with her mother, Jean. And um, we have reached uh, Janet Phelan, an investigative journalist whose articles have appeared in the LA Times, the San Bernardino County Sentinel, the Santa Monica Daily Press, the Long Beach Press-Telegram, We Magazine, and other regional and national publications. And uh, she's here to address the heated subject of adult conservatorship and to reveal the, the shocking information about the relationships between courts and shady financial consultants. And uh, we welcome Janet Phelan to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Janet. Hi, Richard. I, um, I hope you can hear me all right. I'm, I'm south of the border and uh, on a cell phone, unfortunately. Well, it is a, um, uh, it's a better connection than we had with Jeannie Tanaka in California, so we're going to try and reestablish with her. Uh, but just uh, very quickly, before I go to break, let me just, because she was cutting in and out, let me just establish some definitions here. Uh, what I was confused about is, as I was saying to her, up here in Canada, for example, if, let's say I don't uh, appoint anyone as a, a, a power of attorney, and, uh, and then I'm incapacitated by a stroke, and I'm in a hospital... Uh, in that situation, I understand the province will step in and essentially uh, take over uh, as the as the public trustee. Now, walk me through how it happens in the U.S. where people like um, well, Jeannie's case is a little different in that they she was supposedly falsely accused of um, you know elder abuse, but. For example, how do you lose power of attorney over your own flesh and blood? How does it fall to some private conservator? Um, what we really have to understand is that um, judges have ultimate power over these circumstances. And if a judge makes a decision, um, judges actually have, have power to, um, to discard uh, trust. Uh, they have jurisdiction over the, the internal workings of a trust. If they make a decision that um, revokes the stated will, uh, you know, uh, intent of a person, they can do that too. So um, the documents which are supposed to provide safeguards are actually all um, can be shredded pretty much by the decision of a judge. And if you have a judge that is, um, shall we say, influenced in some manner, um, then you have a very problematic situation. Now, um, in Canada, even though there are some differences between the U.S. and the Canadian situation, um, there are beginning to be problems in Canada, too. You might remember, I think it was back in July of 2009, CBC ran a story about how 
the British Columbia Public Guardian was looting estates. So the problems that we're seeing in the U.S. are, um, as usual, Canada's are trailing just a bit behind. Um, so, um, so let me see if I understand this, Janet. Just let me recap and see if I understand this. Uh, what you have in these instances is let's say an elderly person has uh, a son and they've appointed that son to be a, pow- a power of attorney. I don't know if you use those same terms in the U.S. Uh, and that son is supposed to take make sure that his father, once incapacitated, is you know in a nice retirement home and is taken care of and the money is you know there to take care of the father. However, you have in certain instances certain corrupt judges who, working in concert with a private group that seeks conservatorship over individuals, they will, they will say, ah, this person has a lot of money. I'm going to dissolve the power of attorney he has with his son and award it to my buddy who is a private conservator and allow him to run that person's affairs. Is that in, in a nutshell? Well, that's part of it in a nutshell. We're also seeing that we do have a public guardian in, um, in you know, we have that office in um, probably every venue in the United States, and we're also now seeing uh, that the public guardian's office in the United States is um, defrauding people of, of a state. So uh, whether it's a private conservator or a public conservator, where there's money, there are there is the possibility obviously always for corruption, which is why we need impartial judges, which we do not appear at this point in time. We appear to be lacking um, in, in the quality of the judges. All right, I'm, I'm um, going to go to a break here, Janet. Um, and I'm, I'm going to ask you when we come back if maybe that's the reason that uh, you're having to make this call from south of the board, as you say, Mexico. is, is I'm guessing, you know, when you start printing articles about the corruption in the courts that uh, you're going to be met with some stiff resistance. We'll come back and uh, continue to talk with reporter at large Janet Phelan and we've also reestablished contact with Jeannie Tanaka, attorney with the state of California. She'll tell about, about her own battle for truth and justice in the matter of the conservatorship of her mother uh, which she has lost. Back with more of our conversation on the probate murders when The Conspiracy Show continues. Stay with us. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Janet Phelan, reporter at large. We're discussing... Well, she wrote a series of articles, a series of investigations uh, entitled The Probate Murders, and sometimes, as we'll learn, uh, it does lead to murder. Uh, And uh, Jeannie Tanaka, an attorney with the state of California, uh, we've rejoined with her on a better line, but before I get back to Jeannie, uh, uh, Janet, um, let's uh, let's talk about. I mean, in, in worst case scenario, uh, I mean, how bad does it get when some of these corrupt conservators have taken over 
the estate of uh, of an elderly person. Give me sort of worst case scenarios that you've encountered. Well, I'd like to just step back for a minute because a lot of people think this is just about old people and money. And a conservatorship can be launched against anyone. For example, Richard, if you were, um, let's say you were in California, because it may be a little bit different in Canada, uh, but let's say you were in California, and I went, and you, let's say I thought you had a lot of money. Well, I could go to court, and I could say, you know, Richard, Sarah, he's, he's getting kind of forgetful. He's losing his keys. I, I don't think he's doing very well. And on allegations alone, without your being in court, you could be appointed um, somebody to, you know, guard over you and your estate. And we are now seeing where conservatorships are being launched uh, against, against, and I will use the word against, people who are not elderly and not disabled, but who may have estates to be plundered. And what has happened here, it's very clever because um, we, supposedly in the United States, we have this Constitution, Bill of Rights, equal protection under the law. Well, they have developed a gaping loophole. And all you have to do is basically question someone's capacity, question someone's competency, and that person loses all of their rights and all access to their property. It's incredible. Now, why wouldn't... Uh, uh, let me ask you this. Who, so who's the person, I guess, that stands up in court and volunteers to take over the, uh, the estate? Who, who volunteers to be the conservator? Who are these people? Well, um, sometimes we have family members doing this. Um, as we know, family members can either be concerned about their parents or sometimes they can be predatory o- over, you know, their parents. Uh, my own sister uh, was very predatory. I believe in Jeannie Tanaka's family. We also have people who are predatory, who are family members. Um, but there can also be a professional. That person is a stranger. Um, they may have done some research and found out that there's a, a thin, an older woman living alone or something, or, or maybe someone at risk, somebody who isn't very well connected in the community, and they can begin to be predatory on that person. So um, professional conservators are supposed to be abiding by certain laws and regulations. Judges are supposed to oversee um, to make sure that there isn't abuse. But we are finding more and more that there is a systemic corruption going on. And the systemic corruption, uh, well, we always say the buck stops with the judge. And uh, unfortunately, um, many judges, not all, of course, but many judges uh, can be lured by, uh, just as any normal human person could be lured by promises of money. Don't you also have so, to have a doctor that's complicit in this? Because wouldn't they have to sign off on a uh, on an order saying that this person is, you know, not within the, you know their sound mind and body and so forth? Well, theoretically, um, that should happen, but we're seeing many, many cases where there is no capacity hearing and there is no medical determination of incompetency. I mean, once you go into a courtroom, in a courtroom. It's like a king in his court. The judge is like a king in his court. And if he is dispensing with, uh, with uh, protocol, 
been, I've seen over and over again where there is no capacity declaration, no competency hearing. There are allegations that person loses all their rights and all their property. I want to bring, um, I want to bring up a couple of cases real quick. There was a woman in Portland, um, her, well, I'll just call her Susan, um, and uh, I don't know if I have her permission to, get to use you know, her entire name, but she was 49 years old when I met her. She was married to a very wealthy uh, businessman, uh, owned hundreds of millions of dollars of, of uh, national companies, and they were going through a divorce. Susan was college-educated. She looked like a fashion plate, really. Very verbal, very bright, very articulate. And he slapped her with a guardianship and robbed her of her divorce settlement. And in another another scenario, which should be probably alarming to all of us doing political work, uh, Jane Burgermeister, who is fairly well-known um, in uh, some circles, uh, she is a reporter, and she was doing, had been doing some wonderful work on the swine flu issue. You know, is the swine flu a, a valid uh, concern? Was there, you know, government involvement? Were the, are the vaccines safe? It's just a lot of questions. Uh, she was slapped with the threat of a guardianship uh, by an Austrian court. She's dual Irish-Austrian citizenship. They were saying she has a delusion of conspiracy, and they were trying to basically put her under a guardianship, which would, of course, you know, shut her down pretty quick. So these guardianships are not just about old people and their money. This is a massive civil rights issue where any person can be basically targeted and at risk. So, and I'm guessing that if the intent is to drain that person's estate, uh, that they're going to not spend that money, obviously, on providing the best care. So I, I know we're not talking about the elderly, just the elderly, but let's use the example of an elderly person because they might end up okay. in an institution, uh, uh, not, not a, you know, like a five-star retirement home. They're going to end up in the worst possible, the cheapest possible place because the person that's draining that estate doesn't want to spend a dime more than they have to. Is, is that right. the scenario? Well, um, there are very peculiar things going on with the accounting. It's almost as if sometimes that they're just trying to get rid of the money as fast as they can. Um, I've seen just just outrageously spend thrift sorts of activities going on. Um, and I wouldn't call them really in the best interest of, of, of the wars. It just seems like, uh, you know, there's like, it's like, it's like party time, you know? Let's spend the money here, let's spend it here. And why did you, you know, call... it didn't work, let's spend it here. Why did you call um, the series... It, sorry, why did you call the series of the investigations the probate murders, specifically? Well, because when you rob someone of all their rights, uh, um, you, you, you know, they're one step away from... Um, from oh my goodness! Well, okay. Um, a lot of the wards, when the money runs out, the medical care runs out, and the, and in many situations, we're seeing where the conservators are are withholding medical care when the person has a, a situation that is non-terminal. Like, and one of the most uh, one of the most compelling situations I've seen was 
with uh, conservator Melody Scott in Southern California, and um, and the um, the pneumonia problem. She would have uh, her ward seemed to come down with pneumonia quite a bit, and if the money was getting close to running out, um, Melody Scott would order that person not to get antibiotics. Now, now hold on. We, 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 we mentioned a name. Terminal. Sorry, Janet. We mentioned a name on the air here, and we mentioned. Uh, we have to say allegedly. Now, this has been this has been reported publicly in the newspapers, or this this case has been reported publicly in newspapers. Yes. Okay. So has, has this been printed in newspapers? Has yes. this conservator been County Sentinel, Sentinel, okay. American Scholars, and elsewhere? Yes. Has this particular conservator been charged or indicted or? No, she has not been. That and this brings up you know very very strong concerns about the embedded nature of conservatorships. In Jeannie Tanaka's case, for example, okay, and this is this is obviously not a murderous situation. Um, in Jeannie Tanaka's situation, uh, she Jeannie was uh, hauled off in handcuffs in the full view of her mother because the conservator Linda Cotterman told the police that Jeannie had a restraining order against her. The police, um, when they got to the station, they realized there was no there was no restraining order in place. And they released Jeannie. Well, Jeannie went ahead and filed a complaint with the police department. This woman made a, you know, fault, knowingly false police report. That's a crime in California. And the system is now really bucking Jeannie Tanaka's complaint. They don't like to go after these conservators. They, they seem to have some, they seem to be, you know, occupying a, a, a sort of, uh, they're like an elite squad of uh, of what, you know? Okay, we'll, we'll take another time out. We've reestablished with Jeannie. Jeannie, thanks for holding on. We'll get to Jeannie Tanaka's case when we come back. Janet Phelan, reporter at large, who's been covering, investigating these adult conservatorships, something very shocking, disturbing going on. People basically uh, being declared uh, mentally incompetent, uh, incapacitated by a court, in some cases no competency hearings, having their estates taken over by a private interest, a conservator, not a member of the family necessarily, whose only interest is to drain that estate. Disturbing that this would be happening in North America in 2011, a huge violation of civil rights to say the least. If it happens once, that's too much. But uh, I'm getting a sense that this is becoming more and more prevalent. We'll find out as well about that from Janet. Jeannie Tanaka, attorney from the state of California, joins us next to tell us her harrowing tale. When The Conspiracy Show continues, stay with us. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. If you go to the website richardserrett.com and uh, the online poll, 
we've had up there for a while. Do you believe Osama bin Laden has been killed by U.S. Navy SEALs? Uh, we have exactly 100 votes cast, and 80 have said no, and 20 have said yes. 80% do not believe bin Laden was killed two weeks ago by U.S. Navy SEALs. 20% uh, believe the official story. All right, uh, back to an equally... A uh, remarkable, uh, almost unbelievable story, except it does appear to be happening. Janet Phelan, reporter at large, uh, on the line, written for a, a number of very prestigious uh, newspapers, including the L.A. Times, San Bernardino County Sentinel, Santa, Santa Monica Daily Press. She's long been uh, uh, covering this beat of uh, adult conservatorships. She ran a very interesting uh, series of investigations and reports called The Probate Murders. Uh, Jeannie Tanaka is on the line. Let's get into uh, uh, Jeannie's story again. Uh, Jeannie, welcome back. You're an attorney with the state of California. Um, we had some phone trouble earlier. So very uh, quickly, you've been um, uh, battling to regain, I guess, uh, control over your mother mother's affairs, uh, Jean Tanaka, in Los Angeles Superior Court. You say that you were subject subject to false arrest, removal from her home, due to perjured declarations in court. Now, who wanted to get to your mother? I mean, was your mother wealthy? Uh, Why did they choose her? Yeah, she she has a a very lovely home in Westwood, Los Angeles, near UCLA. Uh, In good economic times, it's it's very valuable. Um, And and she also had some some, uh, savings. Uh, But the whole thing was... uh, Started by its brother and sister, it was a, f- a fraudulent initiation of a conservatorship petition, and and the court just uh, jumped on it. Um, I, I'd like to to recommend this. Uh, you can find it on on the internet. It's it's called an open letter to Congress and the White House. Um, you see, I was I was cooperating. I was told by my lawyers and everyone just cooperate. They'll they'll see that. You're not a bad person. You're not harmful to anybody. You know, they had a monitor watching me. Uh, they still do. I have to pay uh, $100 or more to see my mother each time uh, because of, of these various lies told about me. But I was told, cooperate. You know, you, you, everything will work out fine. Well, no. Everyone, please read an open letter to Congress and the White House because when I read that, I realized that this is a pattern, a modus operandi, uh, being used by the probate courts and, and, and the people associated, the conservators, the guardians. Now, Jeannie, was your mother, in fact, um, incapacitated, or was she simply declared thus without a trial? No, she was just elderly. She was fine. And, but now that she's been taken off of all of her, her, her supplements that she'd been on for almost nine years, she, she's having some memory challenges. Uh, before she could walk around, people thought that she was in her 60s or 70s when she was in her 90s. She was great. She would, she would get on her walker and scoot all over the house. And uh, this this private conservator group are. I, mean, I don't want you to mention names, uh, but I mean, how did they how did they pull this off? Were they I- I- in cahoots with a corrupt judge, or how did they convince the judge to turn over her affairs to them? I, I, it's a it's a group thing. I I I believe the judge and the conservators and the uh, court appointed lawyer plus the siblings formed a group and they said, okay, let's toss Jeannie out because she's the protector. And if you read what that open letter, they target the protector to separate the protector from from the target, 
and um, that's that's what they did. They 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 threw me out on false charges, and and they're doing everything they can to separate me and my mother. Now, everything. what happens it, to the, so the the high charges for the visit? That's part of the the attempt to separate me from her. Now, I'm, she's been taken out of her home. I'm guessing, and where is she now? She's living in in a three fourths underground, poorly un, unventilated, improperly ventilated. Uh, basement that has been turned into a, a unit, uh, a, a living unit, 600 square feet instead of her 3,400 square foot home. And who decides what uh, supplements or medication she gets? Well, her, she, had, she had two doctors. Uh, she had two doctors of uh, almost 10 years that, that prescribed this. And what about now? No, they, they took her off, and I was never given a reason why all her supplements were stopped, except, you know... Never mind. And do you, and is I mean, do you know what's happening with her with the estate? I mean, do you see money flying out of her account? Or what, what's going oh, on? Oh yes. Uh, the first temporary conservator it, it took out all the monies uh, in uh, let's see, December of '09, and within three months she had spent sixty thousand. We still don't have a, an accounting. She's she's finally presented an accounting where she wants like twenty thirty thousand for her fees, and she they they want another thirty. Or, or more for her attorney, and then they want to to be approved for the sixty thousand, where they they bought things that that uh, my mother didn't need that she already had, like she had already had a walker, a wheelchair, she had telephone, she had bedding. Um, and and, it, and what happens to the uh, and Janet? Uh, feel free to jump in here, but uh, what happens to the will? I mean, I, I you know I I wish your mother a long a long life, and hopefully she'll be extricated from that, that situation. But what happens generally in the cases where there is a will, when this individual, that is, their estate has been taken over by uh, one of these private conservator groups, what happens to that will, Janet? Well, um, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, um, all documents are a negotiable uh, depending on on how the judge decides, yeah. so um, if if if, the, if what usually happens, what very often happens, not you, very often, is that the money will be drained off by the conservatorship. Mm-hmm. So um, if there's a will and there's no money left, then you know there you got it. True enough. True and, enough. And I want to make a, a little point here, and I, I don't want to sound like a like a conspiracy theorist, because we know how tattered and abused those words are, um, even though there is obviously collusion going on, you know, in so many different aspects of, of our, you know, of, of our existence now. There is collusion going on with, with very powerful parties, um, which, you know, in California, people are losing their homes in droves. Um, the economy is in the toilet. Well, we have a whole, um, baby, you know, generation who would stand to inherit. And when the money gets drained off by the conservatorship, the, the adult children are left basically holding an empty paper bag. And um, we are seeing a situation where, where money is getting real tight for people. And this is simply another aspect of this because if you think you're going to be inheriting all this money and a conservator shows up and starts throwing the money away, then you'll see what you'll inherit. You'll inherit nothing. 
Um, uh, Jeannie, uh, yeah. you, you, I mean, you, you see your mother's uh, health in decline. I mean, she is in her 90s, but other, I mean, pr- previously, you know, on her supplements, she was very independent and, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, healthy. Uh, yeah. it, do, you, do you suspect that the, the, um, the game plan is here on the part of the, the uh, private conservators is to essentially uh, see her, her health decline as rapidly as possible so that they can take what, what is left of her estate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, under my care, my mother uh, never collapsed. Since the conservators have taken over, she's collapsed five times, been taken to the hospital by ambulance twice. She's gotten five uh, urinary tract infections. She's got swollen hands. She's anemia, poor immune system. Her teeth are falling out. I mean, it's, uh, if you want to talk about torment and inhuman and cruel treatment, this is it. I mean, um, usually I'm much calmer when I talk, but it's, it, it's been hard. And, and I've been separated from the care of my mother since February 2010, and I've had to watch this. And, and I have tape recordings with transcriptions of my mother begging me to take care of her, take her out, bring her, bring her to my condo. Uh, she, she, she said to me, I won't live long if you don't take care of me. Um, it, it's, it's been very horrible, sir. Now, you're an attorney. Uh, are you representing yourself in court in this matter, or do you have another attorney? I have three, and you can imagine the financial situation. I have three, and there's three of us fighting. But, you know, it's like, what can you do when the law is not followed, when rules are not followed, when the person enforcing, supposed to be enforcing, upholding the rules, ignores it, doesn't do it. Can, can I jump in here? Please, for Janet, yes. yes. Yeah, um, in terms of the care uh, of Jeannie's mother, and this is very alarming, I think, um, that the conservator has, has discontinued the supplements, and, and which were found to be very beneficial for Jean Tanaka, and she has put Jean Tanaka on comfort care, which is essentially what you do with a terminal terminally ill person. There is no diagnosis of terminal illness for Jean Tanaka, but she has used this comfort care to basically discontinue the supplements, the things that were keeping her healthy. So she said, well, she's 95 years old, she's going to die soon, so we just won't be giving her the things that are keeping her healthy. Janet, uh, and this this is very disturbing. Indeed. In previous conversations, uh, Janet, you and I have had, uh, you indicated, uh, I mean, we, we come back to the name of the series, uh, the probate murders, uh, uh, incidents where uh, you were quite certain, or in fact, there were, there were do not resuscitate uh, orders that seem to have been written by a doctor that were contrary to, let's say, what we call up here the living will or the wishes of the patient in order uh-huh. to, I suppose, you know, expedite the, the, the death of the patient so that the, the conservator could take the money. Tell me about that. Well, um, we, we have a situation. For, I believe that what you're talking about is the Elizabeth Fairbanks case, which was in, um, in San Bernardino Superior Court. The... Um, the do not resuscitate order was um, was done in collusion with the conservator and the doctor, and the family protested that this was not something that that the conservator Elizabeth Fairbanks wanted. Elizabeth Fairbanks, once again, she had pneumonia. She did not have a you know cancer or anything con- considered in that sense terminal, 
and the uh, do not resuscitate order was used to withhold antibiotics from a woman who was ill with pneumonia. So, um, which, you know, you don't, you have a very serious case of pneumonia, it doesn't get treated, you can, your elderly can very well die from that. And so these do not resuscitate orders are being used, in a sense, to withhold uh, medical care from someone who can very well recover from an illness. There have also been instances, uh, yes, Sorry. please, go ahead, yeah. Well, uh, there's a very serious situation that is developed in, in the Sonaka case, and I want to make sure that it's brought, um, you know, that it's mentioned on your show because it highlights the, the absolute um, uh, tyranny and, and, and shocking uh, maneuvers by these judges. Um, back, I believe it was at the end of March, a, a medical doctor who's actually very well uh, uh, decorated, has been part of the White House Council of Aging, all these awards, she had testified at the Tanaka trial, the conservatorship trial, and she discovered about a month later that her recommendations, nothing had changed. So concerned about the, the, the care and, and the well-being of Jean Tanaka, this doctor, Dr. Laura, Laura Moyer, went ahead and contacted Adult Protective Services and the police alleging elder abuse. And the judge in L.A. Superior Court, Riva Getz, has issued a restraining order against Dr. Moyer and said that she is not allowed to report abuse happening to Jean Tanaka. Now, in California, as in many other venues, Medical doctors are mandated reporters of elder abuse. So Dr. Moyer picked up the phone. She made a couple calls, adult protective services in the police, and she has been slapped with a restraining order. So I believe that this situation highlights the power and also the venality the, the of, of what these judges are doing. Are we talking about a handful, perhaps, of allegedly uh, corrupt uh, judges, uh, or is this systemic? This is a systemic problem. Um, it certainly is not everywhere. I mean, there are, there are venues where, this, where, 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 where cases appear to be adjudicated in somewhat clean manners, but they are becoming fewer and fewer. The situation in the state has become so profoundly corrupt that a number of, of grassroots groups have forms trying to address the, the issue of corrupt conservatorship. And um, I've, you know, I've, I've certainly been surveying the groups, I've been surveying the scene, and the situation is getting worse and worse. Uh, Janet, can I ask you, I mean, I alluded to this earlier, uh, you're in, in Mexico. Yeah. Are you, are you basically, have you been exiled because of your attempt to bring this story to the media's attention, the public's attention? You know, I, I, I'll tell you, in a sense, yes. Um, my, situation, my, my, my situation is somewhat unique, although it's becoming less and less unique with more and more people under reporters and activists under attack. And I, you know, I would like very much, I mean, I would be happy to, to, to discuss my situation. Maybe another show would be more appropriate. But yes, I left the U.S. in 08 that was profoundly um, disturbing 
uh, behavior by the authorities, and I'm talking about uh, attempted entrapment by police officers and uh, some real hanky-panky by, by judges and the situation, the writing was on the wall for me. So I said, okay, you know, I don't believe I can safely continue my work in the jurisdiction, and I left the jurisdiction of the United States. Uh, Jeannie, um, we, oh, sorry, go ahead and finish, Janet. No, no, yes. I'm done. Thank you, I'm done. Okay, Jeannie, so what is what is left for you to do now? What more can you do? I mean, do you have anyone uh, in the state assembly on your side that's that's willing to look into this? Who's Who, who are your allies? Well, uh, right now we're uh, still waiting for the judge's decision, and, and uh, the thought is uh, most likely... Uh, having to appeal, um, you know, yes, uh, as, as far as the legislators, um, I, you know, I, I'm thinking a law needs to be passed to make uh, everyone accountable for their actions, including judges. So uh, until that happens, I don't know how, uh, who can do anything. Um, we've been contacting all sorts of people, all sorts of organizations, and the separation of, of the three branches, you see, uh, is the challenge right there. And, and like Janet said, there's this loophole uh, in, in the laws currently. But this private uh, conservative... need congressional action. I, I, I don't know. That's why this letter, an open letter to Congress and the White House... This pr- this private conservator uh, that that uh, placed your mother in this horrible uh, situation and separated you from your mother, uh, yeah. perhaps in collaboration with a judge, perhaps not. That's an allegation. But uh, if they've done it to your mother, they've done it to others. Are you able to d- to find out who these other victims are? And I'm I'm wondering is if there are enough of you, could you not then go on mass to let's say your uh, your representative, your state representative, or the, uh, uh, and say, listen, this is happening to all of us. Do something. I mean, there, there are power in numbers. Yes. I, and Janet has a, a list of organizations. But for, for me right now, um, I am just so, um, my time and energy is just so focused on, on, on the lawsuits, keeping, uh, trying to keep my mother healthy and alive, uh, but yes, I, I, I do need to get involved with, with groups to do that. Janet, who are these groups? There, there is, I'm sorry, right. Yeah, Janet, I was just going to ask you, then, the, who are some of these groups? If, if there are others out there that are listening and saying, well, this is happening in my family, my father, my mother, my brother, have been taken away from my care, what, where do they go? Who do they you know, turn to? I mean, I, I, I started off with getting a trickle of emails about this, and it's now a flood. I mean, every day I'm contacted by a new victim, at least one new victim. And there are groups. I know there is a woman named Latifa Ring who was planning a, an action in D.C., I believe in the middle of June. Um, there is a group, uh, Elder Abuse Help. There's the National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse. There's the Advocates for National Guardianship Reform and Ethics. Um, and, uh, but so far, um, our ability to impact uh, our leaders has been very minimal. Uh, a lot of people are focused, for example, on legislative reform. And there are, we have enough laws on the books that should protect people. And once again, 
you hit the wall with the judge because if the judge chooses to ignore a law, then you have, in the United States, you have, you cannot sue a judge. You have judicial immunity. Judges are allowed to make even malicious and corrupt decisions. So you, you end up hitting that wall. Um, I want to mention something very briefly concerning my case because uh, my knowledge and, and, and awareness of this conservatorship racket began with the conservatorship of my own mother, Emily Phelan. And um, my mother had become very ill during the conservatorship. She was still living in her home, and I got like a 911 call from her, and I, I came and, and saw how sick she was, and I took her to the hospital. I took her to the emergency room. I was very worried. And my mother was admitted, and shortly thereafter, it was determined that her heart was failing and that she was given an emergency pacemaker. A couple days later, I was served with a restraining order. I was to come to court, and there was going to be a hearing on my restraining order. I went to court. I brought a witness with me. I was there when court opened, and I left when court closed. I never got due process. There are there's multiple documentation concerning this, including the court's own minute order, and I was permanently restrained from my mother without a hearing. Now, I, you know, I, this is going to be an easy, easy uh, situation because all I would have to say to the judge was my mother had surgery to save her life, but the judge never got to hear, chose not to hear that. Yeah. A month and a half, month, one more thing, very quick, I'm sorry. A month and a half later, I'm served with a second restraining order. And in this restraining order, Judge Stephen Tennyson blocked me, restrained me from contacting the police. Adult Protective Services, the Department of Justice, the Ombudsman for Nursing Nursing Care Facilities, anyone who could have helped my mother, I was legally restrained <laughs> from contacting. So this shows, you know, to me that we've got a problem with at least well, certainly with that judge, but uh, these sorts of reports of judicial misconduct are coming in from all over the country. All right, let's, make, let's grab a couple of quick calls here. Eris is here in Toronto. She's been waiting a while. Eris, welcome to AM740, The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead. Hi, Richard. Hi. And, uh, hi, Janet. How's hi. the weather down, down in Mexico? Anyway, um, yes, um, I, I, I actually called because I thought it was important that Janet bring up the case of her mother, and she's already done that, so... Uh, my call is apropos, uh, but nevertheless, um, it, it's a terrible situation, um, and uh, I hope that something legal can be done uh, to um, ameliorate it. Anyway, thank you. All right, Aris, uh, thank you for that. Uh, let's say thank hello. Thank you for calling. Let's say hello. Yeah, Janet, great. Let's say hello thank to uh, Fred in Whitby. Fred, welcome. Hi. My my question is, do they feel that they've turned it into a, a money generating system to to benefit benefit whoever? Is the idea here to make money essentially? Is what Fred is asking Janet or Jeannie for yes, someone who? Yes. Well, Jeannie, do you want to answer that? Well, well gee, what's this? Talk about Mama's house. They've they've ransacked all her drawers, even even my dad's. And there's no conservatorship over him. I mean, he's he's deceased, but they've gone through his closets, his drawers, and and taken stuff out. I mean, it's like looting and pillaging. 
It's 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 pillaging that has been legitimized by the courts, essentially. Yes. Yes. And, and then, it's and pretending, for example, it's, the caregiver, and we had a caregiver for 100 a day, they, they go and say, oh, it's costing now 195 a day, and things like that. Yeah, we, it's we don't know where the money's going. It's legitimized by the court, but it's not legal. I want to make that clear. Yeah, yes. The court gives it its stamp of approval, but it's not legal. Uh, yeah. Most disturbing. And, and uh, Janet, you alluded to this earlier. Um, that in a number of cases there have been suspicious uh, deaths where the individual had uh, that was under conservatorship had pneumonia uh, and they were administered morphine? Did yes. I hear that correctly? number of cases, yes. Um, morphine is actually contraindicated for people in respiratory distress and it can very well hasten their death. It can cause death. And a number, in a number of these cases where the individual came down with pneumonia, was denied antibiotics but was administered morphine. And, you know, I mean, frankly, I want to be real brazen here. I'm going to call that murder. <laughs> uh, well, on the surface, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, sounds, uh, yeah. it sounds like it. I just, I, I am absolutely shocked, appalled that uh, you know this isn't uh, on 60 Minutes, on uh, on 2020. Why are they not picking up on this story? <laughs> hey, I've been contacting them. I'm always sending them my requests and stories. They haven't answered me yet. Janet, do you have any theories as to why? Um, I want to say that that. The best friend that we have here, because we're not getting much traction from our, our, our elected representatives, our very best friend would be the media. And, you know, I have been trying and trying to get other media involved. And, and shows like yours, Richard, where you're carrying this and you're letting people know what's happening are absolutely invaluable. Why um, 60 Minutes isn't, isn't covering it, why... Uh, you know, the New York Times doesn't have this on the front page. Um, all I can say is that our mainstream media is getting about as peculiar as our leaders. <laughs> so this is why shows like yours are so important. Uh, Janet, uh, leave us a website where uh, people who are, under, who are going through this uh, can get in touch with you. Um, my website, they can contact me through my website, which is JanetFalen.com. Phelan is spelled uh, P as in uh, probate, <laughs> H as in Helen, E-L-A-N, JanetFalen.com. Uh, a lot of my articles are, are, are concerning this and other issues are on the website, and you can certainly contact me through the website. All right, and uh, Jeannie Tanaka, um, all I can say is... Uh you know, my, my best wishes for you. This is a very difficult, unimaginable uh, ordeal that you're going through. Uh, and uh, all I can do is, is, is hope and pray for the best uh, for you and your yes. mother. Thank you. Thank you. Please do so. Please, please pray. All right. Uh, Janet Phelan, thank you. And uh, we'll be in touch. And, uh, thank you so much, Richard. Okay, Jeannie Tanaka. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. When we come back, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. The Vengeful Jinn, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. My next guest says that if you fear one thing in life, fear the gin. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is one of the leading experts in the paranormal and supernatural field. She's written 42 books, including nine encyclopedias. Jeez, I don't even think I've read nine encyclopedias, uh, as well as hundreds of articles. She makes numerous appearances on radio, documentaries, and of course, she is a frequent guest on The Conspiracy Show. And uh, together... Uh, with her co-author, Philip Imbrogno. Her new book is entitled The Vengeful Jinn, Unveiling the Hidden Agendas of Genies. Rosemary, good to talk to you finally. Hi, Richard. It's great to connect. When you say, uh, well, let's start obviously with, with a definition. Uh, what are jinn exactly? The jinn, uh, their name means the hidden ones. They are a race of uh, entities. They have supernatural abilities. And they live in another reality, probably a parallel dimension. They have been part of um, mythology from the Middle East since ancient times, uh, going back to ancient Persia and Arabia, uh, Babylonian and Assyrian times. Uh, and uh, they seem to be everywhere. Uh, I've, I and my co-author, Phil Imbrogno, have been uh, looking into the jinn for quite a few years. And... Um, we think that they're behind a lot of the paranormal experiences that people everywhere have today. In fact, that could be said about uh, just any kind of entity from mythology. Um, they may, might originate in a particular culture or a particular time, but they're never limited to one geographical area. But when you say if you're going to fear one thing in life, fear the jinn, why are you so uh, concerned about this uh, entity more so than, let's say, other investigations uh, like shadow people or poltergeists. Why the gin in particular, Rosemary? They seem to have um, a lot of hostile intent toward human beings. And by that I mean not all the jinn, but the ones that seem to be willing to interact with us the most frequently. And in fact, people might often mistake them for demonic entities. They're really not the same as demons. But according to lore, they were the original inhabitants of paradise. They were created before human beings, and they were pushed out because of human beings. And uh, like any human who would resent being ejected from his homeland, um, jinn want their homeland back, and some of them are willing to uh, take extreme measures uh, in, in order to try and procure that. Uh, we think that that takes the form of hostile paranormal experiences like negative hauntings, poltergeist attacks, um, nightmare disturbances, possession, um, unfriendly entity activity, in other words. Uh, many paranormal investigators have cases that simply defy explanation. They seem to be demonic, but they 
aren't quite demonic. They don't respond to typical remedies, uh, or sometimes the entities just can't be identified behind the problems. And we think that that's because they're caused by the jinn, the hidden ones. You know, you and I have talked over the years, and I know that one particular aspect of, of the paranormal field that has always intrigued you and that you've, you're always trying to get to the bottom of is you've always suspected there's this common denominator that underlies most, if not, perhaps all, paranormal supernatural phenomena. And it sounds like this is it. You're saying it's the jinn. Well, I, I certainly think that they account for a lot of our experiences that we may mistakenly ascribe to other kinds of entities. Uh, and who knows, there might even be something behind the jinn. In Middle Eastern lore, the jinn are really one-stop shopping for everything. They're behind all the paranormal phenomena and, and people's negative supernatural experiences. Uh, and we think that they are indeed uh, around the world being active, and because of their shape-shifting and uh, abilities and their um, masterful skills at disguising themselves, we might think that we're having interactions with fairies or shadow people, aliens, mysterious creatures, even demonic entities, and in fact it may actually be the jinn in disguise. Now, I mean, is there... Uh, they, they have this ability, obviously, to to to, uh, to shapeshift. Uh, if they're appearing to some people as aliens, uh, others to fairies, as you as you describe. But it, what do they look like in their, if I can use the term, their natural state? Or do we know? We don't really know exactly. According to lore, they were created from smokeless fire, which, in modern terms, would translate into uh, a plasma-like substance. Uh, so it would look kind of smoky or um, like uh, a lot of uh, electrical energy um, and um, would be able to morph into different kinds of shapes. When they do take form, according to lore, they have some favored forms. Reptilian would be one of them, uh, snakes, black dogs. Uh, however, they can appear as um, hybrid creatures, like half-human, half-animal. Uh, they can even look like very beautiful and seductive human beings. So the the possibilities for us interacting with jinn in almost any form are um, accounted for in their own mythology and folklore. Male, female, or are they simply one? Are they or, um, uh, not sexual? Or, or tell me more. They do have gender, and in fact, they share uh, some common characteristics with human beings. Uh, they marry. They have families. Uh, they're organized into societies and rulerships like clans and kingdoms. Um, one difference is that they live a lot longer than we do, for thousands of years. And uh, they also have supernatural abilities that, that we do not have. They can be invisible, they can shapeshift, um, they can see us and we may not necessarily see them. And they seem to have the ability to find their way from their parallel dimension into ours. Uh, at will. Uh, I think that we can access parallel dimensions, but it might be more by accident than, than by will. Now, are, are the terms jinn and genie used, uh, um, I mean, do they mean the same thing? Well, in a way they do. Um, the original name for these entities is jinn, uh, and that's traditionally spelled D-J-I-N-N. -N. Uh, and when um, 
the Arabian folk tales were translated in the 1800s for the French and English-speaking markets, the term jinn was turned into genie. Uh, one of the principal translators was uh, the British explorer Sir Richard Burton, and uh, the word jinn and the concept of jinn reminded him of um, the Roman spirit genius, which actually is a spirit or animating presence of place. They're really not quite the same, but that's how the term jinn became genie. And so in our culture, uh, that's really how we know them, as these um, almost comic entities who get trapped into bottles and lamps and um, rings and things like that, and uh, when liberated, come out as smoke and vapor and take shape, and they're obliged to grant three wishes to uh, to their liberator. Uh, this figure has been sort of um, treated in a cartoon way over the years, and uh, uh, also, so we've we've sort of dismissed it as something um, uh, fantasy. It's amazing to me. I've had comments that people say, well, they believe in fairies and in angels and demons, but uh, genies or jinn to them are are totally unreal just because of their presence in folk tales. And uh, that's simply not the case. They they do have a reality in mythology just like other supernatural entities that we believe in. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the co-author of the Vengeful Jinn, unveiling the hidden agendas of genies. And she says, if you fear one thing in life, fear the jinn. We'll take a time out. When we come back, uh, we'll find out whether or not uh, Rosemary herself has had an encounter uh, with the jinn uh, and, and what has led her, perhaps, to conclude that they are real and that they do pose such a threat to humankind. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM740. To speak to Richard live, Call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. One of the world's preeminent paranormal investigators, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, is with us. And uh, together with her co-author, Philip J. Imbrogno, have uh, penned a new book uh, just uh, out recently entitled The Vengeful Jinn, Unveiling the Hidden Agendas of Genies, and if you think the genies are simply uh, the stuff of, of of lore or the the popular Disney movie Aladdin, my kids uh, love that. Uh, it's not a you know a kooky, crazy uh, comic improv genius played by Robin Williams. We're talking about here. These are uh, tricksters. I say I, I would suppose at the very least, Rosemary. And uh, at, at worst case scenario, I mean, are they are they capable of physical harm? Well, in the worst-case scenario, you could consider them terrorists of the paranormal. 
But um, not all gin are that way. Uh, like human beings, they have different temperaments. Uh, there are some that are very enlightened, very benign, even kindly disposed toward people. But they don't seem to be the ones who, who are uh, seeking out interaction with us. We seem to be dealing with the hostile end of the uh, spectrum. Why are you convinced, uh, and I'm assuming that you, that you are, why are you convinced they're real? Uh, I believe in the possibility of a lot of different kinds of entities. I've studied entity encounters for many years in my work in the paranormal, and I do believe that um, there are other entities who have their own existence in their own realms and have interactions with us. Uh, one of the perplexing things, however, Richard, is that over history, uh, we seem to have uh, consistent experiences, but we put different labels on the uh, what we think the entities are. They seem to, to share certain core characteristics in their behaviors, their agendas, uh, the responses they get from people, uh, and others um, for decades have made these comparisons such as between um, what we think are extraterrestrials and angels, ETs and fairies, demons and fairies, uh, and the jinn deserve to be compared along with those. Uh, I've done many case investigations over the course of my career, and like other investigators, I have um, a number of cases that just defy explanation in terms of what exactly is going on and also why they can't be resolved. That is, there are persistent phenomena uh, that are troubling to people and that can't seem to be cleared up by any remedy. And in comparing notes, I have found other investigators with similar um, peculiar cases. Well, the gin are something that I've been interested in since about the late 1980s when I started reading about them in relation to uh, the folklore that comes out of the Middle East and also uh, how it got woven into the Western magical tradition uh, from the days of the legendary King Solomon. And uh, my co-author, Phil Imbrogdo, became interested in them at about the same time, and especially from the mid-1990s, when he traveled through the Middle East and heard a lot of stories and folklore firsthand and had some experiences of his own in the desert in Oman, uh, in places where the jinn were said to, uh, to be very active. Tell me about some of his experiences in Oman. Uh, well, he uh, knew some people who had um, jobs, or knew a, an individual, rather, who had a security job in the Royal Saudi household, and he was able to meet um, one of the cousins of um, a prince in the royal household who told him a bit about the jinn and told him also where to seek out uh, the jinn presence and some holy men who are knowledgeable about the jinn. And one place that he was taken was called the Majlis al Jinn, which is a huge cave. It's one of the largest in the world. And the name of it means the cave of the jinn. Uh, the jinn are believed to like underground passages, tunnels, old abandoned mines, for example. And in the Middle East, uh, that would be via caves. So uh, while his companions were very frightened uh, because this is such a dangerous place according to their own lore, you don't want to disturb or anger the jinn because they're very vengeful and, and uh, they have ways of striking out at people. Uh, so Phil repelled 
down into this cave by himself, and uh, he was just kind of hanging in space in this immense uh, cavern when a green mist started to rise up from the depths below him. Now, in Middle Eastern lore, this would be uh, a form of the jinn. Uh, and when his companions up above, looking down the hole, saw this mist start to come up, they were convinced that uh, angry jinn were coming out uh, in response to their invasion of their uh, space, and they started to take off. Uh, so Phil had to scramble up the rope uh, by himself and make a dash for the car before they literally left him in the desert. But he learned a lot of things from holy men over there, too. First-hand accounts and lore of the jinn, oral tellings that really are not recorded in, in any books uh, or any scriptures or any um, sacred commentaries, but um, are the knowledge, uh, the body of knowledge and wisdom passed on down from generation to generation. And it was quite an eye-opener for him. Aside from the fact, um, uh, Rosemary, that... Jinn are are not immortal, um, and that they they have a gender and they and they have family units, uh, which implies you know that they have um, a, a sex. I don't quite understand the difference between jinn and and demons. It's easy to get the two confused, and um, some of it arises from the translations of Middle Eastern texts and commentaries about them, including passages in the Koran where the evil jinn are called devils, which to us sounds like a demon. However, there are no fallen angels in Islam, and uh, the jinn are a separate race. Um, but when they act out in hostile ways, it can appear like a demon. For example, they can take possession of people mentally or physically or both. Uh, they can cause poltergeist phenomena, negative things to happen. Uh, they can cause bad luck, problems in relationships. Uh, all the things that are ascribed to demons in uh, our Western mythology. And uh, I've told paranormal investigators that sometimes it's only through a process of elimination that uh, you can make the determination that you're probably dealing with one or the other, and there are no surefire tests in identifying any entity for that matter. We just sometimes have to give it our best assessment. But some of the, the key differences would be motivation. Uh, in, we in the Western concept of demons, demons are all evil. There's no good among them. Uh, whereas the jinn are like human beings. They have mixed temperaments. They're the good, the bad, the, the very bad, the uh, criminal, the insane, the psychotic, the benevolent, the enlightened, just like human beings. Um, their motivations for dealing with people are likely to be different. So From a the demonic point of view, the demon seeks to subvert the soul. That is, take over a person and influence them so that that person makes the choice to turn away from God. A jinn is more likely to uh, possess or uh, pester someone for its own end. It wants a physical experience through a body. Uh, it is infatuated with or intensely obsessed or with or interested in a human being and just wants to hang around and have vicarious experiences or it has a mean streak in it and wants to harass people. Perhaps it feels invaded. 
some of the jinns seem to be very territorial in nature. They have the ability to sort of latch on to um, to land, so to speak, that they can come through uh, these interdimensional portals and they feel that a certain geographic area that energizes them is really their territory, not ours, because it was theirs originally. So they may react very unkindly to people who come and build a house there. This is also found in fairy lore. So uh, those would be some uh, key differences that could only be determined through investigation. And, of course, uh, one has to get entities to communicate. And uh, demons and jinn are likely to communicate in different, um, different manners. You know, the demon is ultimately going to say that it works for a certain uh, master, uh, demonic master. Uh, jinn uh, are not necessarily going to say that they're a part of any particular clan. Uh, they're likely to give a name. They, the ones that have communicated in cases I've worked on uh, usually say things like, um, I was here first, I'm a lot older than you are, this is my place, uh, I don't want you here, get out, and I'm going to make you miserable until you do, uh, which is distinctly different from a demonic approach to why demons would want to engage with human beings. So these sorts of things are not necessarily readily apparent right up front. Um, An investigator comes into a case, and on the surface you're dealing with possession, obsession, infestation, uh, a range of supernatural uh, sort of symptoms of the underlying cause, and you just have to get to the bottom of things. All right, Rosemary Stapwit will come back and continue to delve into the vengeful gin. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, my guest here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, together with co author Philip Imbrogno, are the authors of The Vengeful Gin Unveiling the Hidden Agendas of Genies. How about for you, Rosemary? Uh, your um, reporting back on this show, uh, you know, about various investigations, and it seems to me you were involved in. Um, uh, an investigation, I think it was a farm somewhere in the Hudson Valley, just about anything that could go wrong went wrong, and there was just countless uh, entities uh, roaming around this place, and, and uh, one of them was a suspected gin. Now, remind me, did you have a direct experience with what you suspect was a gin? I have uh, on quite a few occasions. Some of the negative cases that I've uh, followed, especially for a long time, um, when I can, I like to have an ongoing investigation of a place because sometimes it's only through repeated visits that you can really ascertain uh, what might be going on. So I have had uh, interactions with these entities that, I consider to be jinn, and in fact, I now consider shadow people to be jinn. I've been studying them for about six or seven years now, 
and had, through a process of elimination, um, determined, um, according to their characteristics and behavior, that they were probably not ghosts, poltergeists, demons, extraterrestrials, fairies, mysterious creatures. In other words, they were, at best, ultra-terrestrials or unknown entities from another dimension. But when uh, considered in light of the characteristics, motivation, and behavior history described um, against the Jinn model, uh, shadow people uh, seem to be a very good fit. And uh, that's my uh, current working hypothesis on shadow people is that they are a form taken by Jinn. Have you ever been attacked? Uh, It keeps them hidden. Uh, it enables them to interact with people, uh, to keep people at a distance, to get information from them, and to elicit a fear reaction from people, which is probably energizing to them. Have you ever been attacked by a, by a jinn, or you suspect it was a jinn? Well, I've had uh, qu- uh, quite a few things happen, um, which also happen to demonic investigators, things like... Um, Inexplainable car problems, email, telephone, computer problems. Um, I've had a ports, uh, which I uh, have been characteristic uh, of some of the people that that I've been researching and investigating. Um, Only once have I had an actual injury, and only once in my entire career as a paranormal investigator, um, which goes to show you how unreal, unreality TV is, where people seem to be in danger all the time, um, but that was a, a um, small uh, cut, that, bleeding cut that I had um, during the course of an investigation where the entity, uh, which I believe was a jinn, was manifesting as a shadow person in the in the room that I was in, and it looked like um, a, a, about an inch and a half, two inch cut that would be made by a razor blade or a box cutter. Uh, these sorts of cuts. Uh, are not uncommon in demonic cases, too. If a jinn decides to take human form, I'm assuming that they can do that. I mean, how how clever are they in their disguise? For example, uh, my, my producer Griffin March, is it possible, uh, you know, that one could assume his form and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference and I'm actually, you know, uh, my, my show is being produced that evening by a jinn? I, mean, I, I know I'm being somewhat flippant, but you get my point. <laughs> Well, I do, certainly, and these are legitimate questions that people ask. Um, It's really unknown how much masquerading goes on. Uh, There are some people who feel that everything supernatural is a masquerade, and I'm unwilling to to go to that extreme position because I think it's rather paralyzing and doesn't really help us understand what all is going on. But I think that a variety of entities, including the jinn, probably have the ability to pass fairly unnoticed uh, a good chunk of the time. However, if you were having regular interactions with a disguised entity at some point, um, it would literally trip itself up because it's not entirely human. It doesn't have the ability to stay in this world uh, for prolonged periods of time. Uh, I think if they did, they would. They would just move on in. Uh, so uh, there would be things that would give it away. And um, with the gin, uh, that can be any number of ways. It could be through, through the eyes. Entities often seem to have difficulty um, maintaining the appearance of human eyes. It, they would shapeshift to something that would 
seem rather unnatural, or through its behavior, uh, you would probably pick up some telltale signs that uh, all would not be um, as it should be normally. You mentioned that there are all sorts of different types of temper- temperaments uh, among the jinn. Where, where are the, the good jinn? Uh, are they among us? Are they helping us? That remains uh, unknown at the moment. Uh, I suspect that might be the case, but as paranormal investigators, we're limited with the cases that are reported to us, and people usually report things that bother them, that are greatly troubling to them. Uh, We tend less to hear from people who are having happy experiences. We do, but they're a minority, so the data gets skewed. And uh, nobody really knows what the true picture is. Uh, there are people who have contacted both Phil and I who, who claim to be in contact with benevolent jinn who are trying to help humanity and uh, offer their uh, supernatural abilities in benevolent ways, such as for healing and uh, spiritual enlightenment and things like that. Um, Actually, the term demon means replete with wisdom, and in in earlier times, people conjured up demons for much the same sort of thing. They were considered rather tricky and shifty, um, but they could be conjured up for divination and prophecy and for learning the the, uh, secret arts. So uh, our interactions with supernatural entities have um, had, I guess you could call it kind of a checkered history, you know, it's... um, kind of good and bad and uh, mixed and with a lot of gray areas in between. You said I would like to hear from more people who feel they've had uh, benevolent experiences. Uh, the the, uh, the jinn organize themselves uh, into clans, as you've indicated. Um, I mean, are, there, are they preparing for some sort of all-out war against humankind? I mean, is there any, any way of knowing that? What the, is there any writings and legend that might uh, lead you to suspect that? Uh, well, from an extremist point of view, that, that would be the assumption, that um, the jinn would be gathering information about us, about how we function, about how we hold our form, literally, in this dimension, uh, so that they can make inroads and eventually uh, take over. Uh, and the basis for that actually is found in one of their creation stories um, in the, told in the Quran, in the chapter called Al-Jinn, which means the jinn. And uh, the jinn were cast out from paradise because they refused to uh, bow down before human beings when, hum- when humans were created. God instructed the angels to bow before Adam, and the angels, having no free will, did so. But the jinn have free will, and the leader of the jinn, uh, whose name was Iblis, refused on the grounds that human beings were inferior. And so God cursed the jinn and cast them out. But uh, Iblis asked for a chance for uh, redemption, and he said, uh, you know, if you give us a chance, we'll prove that human beings are unworthy. And so God has granted the jinn until Judgment Day to make their case. So um, the belief is that um, the jinn then get cast out into another realm, or in modern terms, a parallel dimension. And some of them go about their own business. You know, they they make their their own new life. And others who are resentful 
uh, join forces with Iblis to become the, the wicked jinn or the devils uh, who would fulfill demonic-like um, actions against humanity to bedevil people, uh, torment them, harass them, uh, and uh, turn them from a spiritual path. Where are the mentions of uh, the jinn in, uh, in the Bible, or, or are there? Well, they're not mentioned by name per se, but um, one can make some comparisons uh, that, that at least hint of the jinn, uh, such as references to familiar spirits, you know, avoiding familiar spirits and, and uh, things like that uh, that would lead people astray. Now, some of that may have been political in nature as, as a way of um, rulers establishing total authority over people. In other words, don't go to the soothsayers and the mediums uh, who will let spirits speak because, you know, you're supposed to get all your authority uh, via other channels. Uh, and the jinn would certainly um, fall under that classification, too, as uh, entities that human beings uh, consult for divination. In fact, there are rituals and traditions in the folklore of the Middle East for conjuring jinn for the purposes of, of divination and um, even uh, for healing. Uh, how do how does one dare I uh, maybe I shouldn't ask this but I mean it, uh, maybe you're you're not able to tell us uh, maybe it wouldn't be wise to tell us but how, <laughs> is it possible to conjure jinn I mean do you, is there a uh, an incantation or how how does one do it There are varieties of incantations uh, just as for demons for example uh, the way that the jinn entered the Western magical tradition was. Uh, through the lore of King Solomon, who was supposed to be one of the wisest uh, rulers of the ancient times, the second king of Israel, and he is said to have had the ability to control the jinn uh, through uh, a magical ring that was given to him by God, and he enslaved them to build the Temple of Jerusalem and even the city of Jerusalem. His magical lore supposedly was collected into a book, called the Key of Solomon, which was passed on down through the patriarchs and which became the basis for a lot of the Western magical tradition. These magical texts that are uh, derived from the Book of Solomon, which does seem to have genuine ancient roots, uh, are collections of incantations, instructions, um, magical seals, symbols, uh, the secret names of spirits, um, instructions for the times of day and night to conjure things up, the words that you would use. And similar texts exist in folklore uh, outside of these books, both in the Western tradition and Eastern tradition. Now, many of these are um, readily available through a lot of channels, and um, people do experiment with them with uh, probably varying degrees of success. But there's like no one or two incantations. There are many, many different kinds of incantations depending upon what you want to summon up and for what purpose. So in other words, it's possible to pull these uh, jinn out of this parallel dimension and make them do our bidding if you know the right words. Um, yes, that's, um, that's the principle behind these magical texts. Now the jinn, as well as demonic entities... Uh, are rightfully so considered to be very dangerous uh, to deal with on those terms. 
um, especially the jinn, because the jinn have free will. And um, it's very easy for things to go out of control, uh, for spirits to be summoned up who then don't go away or um, don't do exactly what, what you want them to do. Uh, and uh, there are disastrous consequences. So I never recommend to people that, that it's wise to experiment with ritual magic. Um, certainly people have, and, and there have been some very uh, famous magicians uh, around the world through the ages. But there's usually a heavy price that's paid for that. How do you make them go away, or how do you keep them away if you're, if you're fearful of them coming into your life in the first place? What are they afraid of? Uh, the jinn seem to be harder to get rid of than other kinds of entities, and that's where these these cases come in that seem to defy explanation and resolution. Um, there are methods of exercising the jinn, uh, as there are for demons, and in the Middle Eastern tradition, in, in Islam, for example, there are certain verses of the Quran that uh, will expel certain jinn, uh, just as uh, reading passages from the Bible, you know, going through the ritual Romanum uh, in traditional uh, exorcism uh, in the Catholic tradition uh, will help to dispel dis- demonic uh, entities. Um, but some of it seems to depend on the nature of the situation, um, exactly what has happened to a person, the strength of the jinn, its motivation, its intentions, and uh, if a jinn is very determined or powerful, it's very difficult to to get rid of. What about iron? Uh, iron is said to weaken them, and um, like iron will weaken a lot of uh, negative spirits and and also fairies. So amulets that have iron in them can be uh, placed around a room, for example. Uh, as a way of establishing a protective barrier. But there there always seem to be entities who are able to get past some barriers. And so there aren't really any remedies that are 100% universally effective for all situations. And uh, sometimes people have to experiment. Uh, for example, uh, shadow people visits can be kept to a minimum or even dispelled by keeping the lights on. Sometimes uh, lights on at night uh, won't do a thing, and other times it's very effective. Prayer can be effective in some cases. Um, amulets uh, like the iron or the evil, uh, evil eye uh, remedies uh, can be effective. In both Western and Eastern traditions, um, persistent demonic entities can, um, if they are not persuaded to leave uh, or, uh, or they won't respond to being ordered out, uh, they can be beaten out. And uh, that's something that I don't think is a very good idea because supposedly the victim doesn't feel it, but the jinn does. Um, but these remedies have been discussed in earlier times, beatings, burnings. Um, Mohammed, who, uh, you know, uh, was the, um, the holy man, uh, the founder of Islam, uh, was able to dispel the jinn, but sometimes he had some rather formidable battles with them himself. And the Islamic commentaries that have been written on down through the ages uh, have often acknowledged how difficult it is to dispel determined jinn. So 
sometimes they respond to to remedies and sometimes they don't. Um, there are procedures also for conjuring up very powerful gin to get rid of weaker ones. That if a gin, you can't get a, a gin to go, then uh, you you find somebody who has the power to summon up um, a bigger, badder dude, so to speak, uh, who will bully the weaker one out. And that, that can would just be a procedure that we would never find in in uh, demonic treatments in the West. And that can only lead to, <laughs> to, to trouble. You, then you have to get a bigger gin and a bigger <laughs> gin and a bigger gin. <clears throat> it cannot it cannot end well. <laughs> it, I, I don't think that's a, a chain that you want to get involved in. Certainly not. Uh, listen, uh, Rosemary, then people better uh, um, rush out and get a copy of The Vengeful Gin, and uh, uh, it is published by Llewellyn Publications, Llewellyn Worldwide. And uh, again, the title is The Vengeful Gin, Unveiling the Hidden Agendas of Genies, Rosemary Ellen Guiley and co-author Philip J. Imbrogno. Uh, Rosemary, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Richard. I, uh, I would also like to tell people that we have an educational website, ginuniverse.com. We have excerpts from the book and a page for people to tell about their own experiences. We're collecting some very interesting ones from all over the world. Well, we better all go back to school if we're going to, uh, to defend ourselves. Uh, forewarned, forearmed, as they say. Thank you for this. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll do some open lines till the top of the hour. Get on board. Questions, comments on just about anything. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. By our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Hey, welcome back. Just a few uh, announcements before I get to the phones for our little open line segment. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, talked to John Apsley, Dr. John Apsley, about the, um, the continuing uh, health risks presented by Fukushima, uh, the uh, nuclear plant in Japan. Uh, of course, on a Thursday, we had... Um, Re- news that uh, Reactor 1 there is in full meltdown, which is rather scary. 
Uh, and then I had received an email from uh, a listener, Joseph, who had a Geiger counter here in, um, in the Toronto area and was reporting some rather unusual readings, and others uh, called and emailed in to substantiate that. I uh, just wanted to give you a, uh, an update because Dr. John Apsley was also directing us to a website called NILU, and uh, this was uh, a site that was uh, ostensibly, uh, by all accounts rather, a, a good source for fallout modeling and forecasting information. Well, now Joseph emails to let us know that they've taken that site down. Sorry to bother you again, Richard, but I wanted to make you aware of this development ASAP. If you recall, Dr. Apsley, on your show last Sunday, recommended using the NILU website. Uh, I had since been using that site and was horrified by what I saw in their looping images. However, I was not totally surprised as it confirmed my readings, his Geiger counter readings. Well, apparently, in lockstep with Health Canada and the EPA, the NILU website has been shut down. This, There is a thread started about this on the... Uh, he gives a website. Uh, given that it was admitted in the past 24 hours that Reactor 1 at Fukushima is in full meltdown, this is absolutely frightening. On a related note, have you seen the weather forecast here for the next five to six days? Rain every day, continuing the pattern of record rainfall we received through April. It sure makes you wonder if all this rainfall is natural. Uh, you'd almost think they were sacrificing here, us here. Uh, anyway, and then he goes on to say, keep your kids out of the rain. Well, listen, I, I don't want to uh, cause a, a panic. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just, I, I do find it disturbing that, um, you know, we're getting these Geiger counter readings, or these reports from individuals, um, and uh, we're not getting a whole lot of information from, from governments or the media. They're not really continuing on this story the way that they should. I find that uh, disturbing. All right. I also wanted to mention that uh, I will be making a formal announcement in the next week or two. The Conspiracy Show television program, which airs on Vision TV, of course, season one, 13 episodes, we've been picked up for season two. And uh, we're going to hit the road very soon. And uh, we're going to uh, produce 18 new episodes, and that'll debut in the fall. I don't have an exact date for you. And those of you that are looking for the um, repeats of the season one, because they haven't been seen since the original run, which ended April 1st, my understanding is that they will also be aired in the fall. So you'll get um, um, sort of back-to-back -back episodes, a new one with a repeat, etc. All right. Coming up next week on the show, just when you thought it was uh, safe to wade back into the birth certificate issue, uh, Jerome Corsi will be here and, and his new book, Where's the Birth Certificate? The Case That Barack Obama Is Not Eligible to Be President. Uh, Jerome has been working on this book since 2008. He's traveled to Kenya, Hawaii, hired private eyes to get to the truth. Uh, when it was announced that this book was going to be released May 17th, uh, even prior to that, it went to like the number one on the book uh, selling list. And some are suspecting that is why Barack Obama chose at that point to release a long-form birth certificate, which some are still maintaining is a forgery. Anyway, uh, Jerome Corsi on the program. Uh, next week. Let us begin with uh, Elsa here in Toronto. Hello, Elsa. Hi, Mr. Serrett. Mr. Serrett, I wanted very quickly to ask you your opinion. Uh, we've had so many people have predict doomsday. 
Are we still going to be alive after uh, May Saturday, May twenty first, to hear your show on Sunday night? Uh, let me put it this way, Elsa. I'm I have no trepidation about locking in my mortgage for another five years. <laughs> if okay. that answers your question, <laughs> yes, it does. Thank you and good I'm, night. Ah, uh, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. What does that mean? Shut up the words and seal the book. Only God knows the day and the time, right? So, I, you know, there are websites proliferating about this May 21st uh, as being Judgment Day. And um, some of them mention rapture, a rapture. I don't believe in a rapture event. It's not part of my faith system. In fact, uh, um, I think there's pretty good evidence that it was something that was sort of added in uh, not into the. It's no. It's not in the Bible. I mean, there are references to raptures, and and people, uh, uh, I think, have misinterpreted that. Um, but uh, I don't know exactly whether this started with one, with one group, um, uh, some Bible fellowship group, or where it began. Uh, but um, uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a moment. I mean, it certainly, you look out the door, out the window these days, it certainly looks like we could be in end times, you know, nuclear rain, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, wars, and rumors of war. Uh, but you can't live your life that way. You can't live your life that way. Uh, Michael is in the beaches. Hello, Michael. Good morning. I was just going <laughs> to ask you sort of the same thing, what you thought of May the 21st, because... Um, the the group, uh, if you want to find out information from them, is uh, you know called Family Radio, which I got, uh, you know, years ago. Oh, that's right, Her- Harold Camping. Now I remember Harold Camping, good old yeah. Harold. He's he's got to be ninety years old now. Well, you know, for uh, I hate this. This is terrible, but I was gonna, you know, for him May twenty, he's ninety. For him May twenty one may be the end of times. <laughs> when yeah, you get to be that age, you know, don't buy any green bananas. I say. It, they sound mainstream, though. They're not just apparently a bunch of wackos. They have a big network down in the States. Well, you know, having a lot of money doesn't necessarily preclude, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions. I don't know. Harold Camping might be, I'm sure he's a very nice man and a very nice Christian. Uh, but what can I tell you? I, I just, I believe it's quite clear in the Bible that only, you know, God knows the end time. Uh, and it's not for us to know. I didn't think they were into that. You know, my here's my my advice. May twenty first, it's going to be a great day for a ball game. Go down to the ball. I don't know if the Jays are in town. Go down uh, there and you know I think enjoy, they are. enjoy a uh, nice. The Preakness is that day. There you go. There's lots of things to look forward to. All right, Michael. Thank you for that. Yeah. Let's say hi to uh, Kevin in Toronto. He wants to talk about pyramids. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Hi. How's it going? Very well. Thank you. Good. I was just wondering if you had heard of Rock Lake uh, Pyramids. The Rock, Wisconsin. the Rock Lake Pyramids in Wisconsin. No, I'm not familiar. Okay. Well, um, you and your listeners may be interested to hear that there is ancient pyramids. Well, ten thousand year old pyramids, just about an hour northwest of Chicago city. And uh, and who uncovered these? Um, well, it's been a, a ancient legend, not ancient legend, but local legend with the native tribes uh, since before Columbus. These are and, these are uh, submerged, right? Submerged at the bottom of of the lake. Yeah, yeah, it's submerged, and uh, you can only see them on certain days and certain times of year when the weather and uh, the currents underwater are right and everything. Uh, 
apparently there's algae that makes it very difficult to see. But this book, book that I'm reading, and I have no association with this guy, I just, I just happened to find it, is called The Lost Pyramids of Rock Lake. Uh, by Frank Joseph. I know. And well, Frank's a great uh, friend of the show. I've had him on a number of times, and and oh. uh, he's he's um, uh, been uh, on the the forefront really of uh, talking about how there was a massive copper mining operation on the shores of Lake Superior, which would include Wisconsin and uh, and uh, um, probably parts of Michigan, um, mm. like five six thousand years ago. Uh, and uh, this copper, he believes, was being mined by uh, the Minoans, the Egyptians, which might explain the, the, the presence of pyramids. He says because uh-huh. there, there was not enough copper in Europe to to have, you know, uh, provided the, the copper needed to, to launch the Bronze Age over in Europe. Where did the copper came from? It came from the shores of Lake Superior. How did it get there? How did yeah. it get back to Europe? Must have been in huge ocean-going vessels. So Absolutely. it's 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 a mystery wrapped in a riddle, as a good friend of mine likes to say, dipped in a chocolatey coating. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and it's right in their backyard, really. Uh, Kevin, thank you for the heads up. We'll have to look uh, into that further, and I'll have to get Frank Joseph back on the show. Thank yeah, you for reminding absolutely. me. All right, my friend. Thank you. Have a good night. Okay. Last call to make it a quick one, Arthur. we got about 30 seconds, buddy. Uh, hello. Hi there. Hi. Not only might people ask the question, why doesn't the Bible mention another evil group like the demons? Because God didn't hold, doesn't hold with anything back from us. God doesn't tell us everything. Some secrets are to, to him. But he just mentions demons when he says in John, whatever, woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great anger, knowing he has for a short time. So the devil is out to deceive people, making them think, Oh, well, there's an equal group like us, so we have to watch out. But the Bible says you only have to watch out for a demon manifestation. All right, Arthur, thank you for that clarification, my friend. Have a good evening. And the same to all of you. Griffin March, thank you for production. Back again next week, of course, Jerome Corsi on the show. Where is the birth certificate? That one won't go away. And uh, then, upcoming on the show... Uh, which is nice, a nice compendium. We're going to get uh, the National Post's Jonathan Kay on the show. Among the Truthers, a journey into the growing conspiracist underground of 9-11 truthers, birthers, Armageddonites, vaccine hysterics. Not playing his hand there at all, is he? Hollywood know-nothings and internet addicts. Hmm. And I'm reading that on the National Post online edition. So what am I to do? Internet good, internet bad? All right, Jonathan Kay. He's a, he's a fine writer, but I disagree with him. And I'll, we'll have it out on the air. Uh, all right. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I say in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.